Hey y'all, I'm Melanie. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Old North State Podcast. We're bringing you on a deep dive into all things North Carolina. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. Or good evening. Good to see everyone again. Happy October. Is that what today is? Yes. How exciting. It's October. a it's officially Spooktober. Spooktober, Ghosttober. Uh however you like to say it. Jason is currently trying to get Finley to stop being a crazy cat. So I will talk about Spookfest. This coming October thirtieth. Thirtieth. The day before Halloween. Yes. Because we'll be busy celebrating our... Wedding anniversary and eating the cake that's been in our freezer for an entire 11 months. We'll let everyone know how it goes. <laughs> um, yeah. You have a fun... Uh, on this... Monday. Day fact. <laughs> yeah, Monday was National North Carolina Day. Yeah, who knew? I didn't. I didn't either. It doesn't really make sense to me. But no. apparently September 28th every year is National North Carolina Day. It's not one of the dates on our flag. No. I don't know who decided this. I think somebody picked it a few years ago. I think a couple years ago was the first time. Well, they didn't ask us. No. How rude. How rude. Yeah. So, happy National North Carolina Day, everyone. Mm -hmm. um, we celebrated it by uh, living in the state of North Carolina. Yes, living, breathing its air, going to work in its cities. Paying its taxes. Paying its taxes. Driving yes. on its roads. <laughs> all that good stuff. Yes. As, as good members of society. Yes. We do. So yeah, hopefully you got to do something special. Um, today's episode is about... Historic Stagville Plantation in Durham. Yeah. Where, how did, like, what interested you in this particular historic location? Um, I wanted to do something in Durham because I didn't know of any really ghost stories in Durham, despite having hmm. lived there for 18 years of my life. So I was like, mm, I bet Stagville is probably haunted. Have you been to Stagville? I have not. Oh. You didn't go on like any school f field trips or anything? No, we always went to Bennett Place. That's right. I follow them on Instagram. Do you? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, Whenever I see a historic site on Instagram, I go ahead and smash that follow button because they need it. Yeah. Stagville is one of the um, better ones, as we will discuss. So... Tucked away in northeastern Durham off Old Oxford Highway lies the site of what was one of the largest plantations in the South. At its height in 1860, historic Stagville Plantation consisted of 30,000 acres with over 900 enslaved African Americans. That is um, a lot. That is massive. Of both of those numbers. Yes, and we will compare the land to... Something people Yeah, I'm can. not going to ask because I know it's in the yeah. notes. Yeah. So Richard Benahan came to North Carolina from Virginia to manage a store owned by a Scottish merchant named William Johnston. 
With the money from his work at the store, he was able to pur purchase 1,213 acres of land near the store from Tyree Harris, who was the former sheriff of Orange County. It was that same year that Richard Mary married Mary Amos, who was the daughter of a planter from Northampton County, which is... North of Hampton? Mm-hmm. It's um, on the border with Virginia. So Richard and Mary moved into Tyree Harris's old homestead, known as the Brick House Plantation. Mary had inherited money as well as five enslaved people from her father, who she brought with her to the Brick House. To the Brick House. Thank you. You're welcome. William Johnston died in 1785 and named Richard as the executor of his estate. Two years later, in 1787, Richard bought 160 acres of land from the Stagg family. Judith and Thomas Stagg owned and operated a tavern on the land, which was called Stagg's Old Raw Ground on the Deed. That is uh, quite the name. And honestly, that doesn't sound good. I mean... Because a stag, isn't that like a... A horse? Yeah. And then it's raw ground. So are they serving, like, raw ground horse meat? It was a tavern. I guarantee you I, they My ate question horse. stands. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they ate horse meat back in the day. They need a better PR person. Hey, I don't make the rules. <laughs> so the land was bisected by the old Indian trading path, which was the primary route from Petersburg in Virginia to Catawba land at the South Carolina border and then down to Cherokee land in Georgia. These 160 acres would become the core of Stackville Plantation. Richard built a new store in 1787, and sometime between 1788 and 1790, a small 24-foot by 16-foot dwelling was constructed, constructed, constructed to house Richard, Mary, and their two children, Rebecca and Thomas. It was a traditional house for the time that consisted of two rooms and a loft upstairs, the caretakers of the site today um, say that you can tell the family had wealth based on the plant paint colors like blue and yellow inside the home. Otherwise, it was pretty basic for the time period, uh, which was unusual for somebody who had as much money as they did. But Richard thought that things like that ornate crown molding and stuff like that was overkill. Overkill. He just thought it was frivolous. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So... Throughout the 1790s, other structures like a mill house, a smokehouse, a blacksmith shop, barns, granaries, stables, and several cabins for the enslaved were built. The original house was expanded to what it looks like today in 1799, and it's kind of like a, they say it's a one and a half stories. But. So it's like, it's like two stories, and then you've got the one in the loft, so they consider it to be one and a half. Gotcha. So, by the end of the 1700s, Richard was one of the most successful planters in the area. He owned 3,914 acres of land and 42 enslaved people of working age. In 1802, Richard purchased another 600 acres of land on the north side of the Neuse River, about 10 miles away from Stagville. So, that, when I say Stagville, I'm talking about his house. The Neuse River. Mm hmm That's, um, goes all the way down to New Bern? Probably. Is that what I'm thinking of for the 
Because we've definitely talked about it before. The noose. Falls yeah. of the noose. That's a, a road in Raleigh. Um, I'm well, looking it up. Okay. Keep talking. Well, this is where he built another store at the Fish Dam Ford on Fish Dam Road. And as we know... S- solid. Solid name. As we know, Fords are a crossing in the river. So, Yes. That was one of the first... Uh, Definitions we had to look up for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What is a Ford? So Richard's daughter, Rebecca, married a man named Duncan Cameron at the plantation in February 1803. Duncan was a lawyer and planter originally from Mecklenburg County, Virginia. Not North Carolina, Virginia. Sad. Yeah. So with the gift of 300 acres from his new father-in-law, Duncan built a house called Farintosh which was about one mile east of the Benahan house. It was called Farintosh after the birthplace of his father, who was a reverend from Scotland. Around the house, he built his law office, he built more barns, and then they built a chapel in a grove of trees about a quarter mile east of their new home. Yes, so I was correct. The noose river does uh, spew out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the word I'm thinking of? Um, in New Bern. We talked about it before, because I'm sure it came up when we were talking about the Battle of New Bern. Probably. So, in 1806, Richard formed a partnership with his son Thomas and son-in-law Duncan to run his Stagville store. He conveyed 2,283 acres of land to them as part of this venture. In an 1807 contract, between the Benahans and the Camerons, they would consolidate the Camerons' pre-existing land, with the Benahans and form one big 6,000-acre tract overseen from Stagville. In 1825, Richard died, and the center of the plantation shifted to Farintosh. In 1847, Thomas, who had never married, died, and then Stagville was passed on to the Cameron family. So by this point, Paul Cameron, Duncan, and Rebecca's son had taken over the plantation. In 1850, renovations to the Farintosh house began, and then they also started constructing new buildings, including the enslaved quarters at Horton Grove, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit next. So Horton Grove is an area within the plantation complex that consists of the only two-story enslaved quarters that remain in North Carolina today. They were living quarters constructed by enslaved craftsmen, that showcased the gradual improvements that were made during slavery on plantations. There were four rooms in each two-story building that were separated by a four-foot hallway. Each room housed one common family, name, or lineage of anywhere between five to ten people. Each of these dwellings included shuttered glass windows, wooden floors, fireplaces, brick chimneys, and raised foundations. This was clearly very atypical for enslaved housing, And it was not a moral decision by any means. This isn't just like, oh, maybe we should treat these people like people. It was enslaved people were seen as an investment for the plantation. The reasoning behind this such high standard living quarters for the time was only about improving health of the enslaved and trying to increase profit margins. If you had healthy slaves, they could do more work, making you more profit. I don't know why they didn't just throw them a pizza party. That's like... Yeah. Or give them, you know, a glass full of with M&Ms Listen. with the with the plantation <laughs> logo 
engraved onto it saying, hey, thanks for contributing. Here's a $1.50 worth of candy. That was my bonus last year was a cup full of candy. Yeah. Uh, That's okay. Shout out to your boss. Um, we expect more this year. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then the I pizza party. I come to expect nothing. <laughs> I feel like everyone has once in their career been rewarded by giving the company probably like thousands of tens of thousands of dollars were themselves then rewarded by getting yeah. pizza and then discount yeah. soda. And um, that and like if your whole class scored good on your EOGs, you get a pizza party the next week. <laughs> that probably came out of your teacher's pocket. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm, I'm being negative. I'm sorry, guys. It's OK. We're it's because we're talking about slavery talking about slavery. Anyways, <laughs> the Camerons would continue to acquire land throughout the duration of the 1800s. And by 1860, the complex consisted of 30,000 <clears throat> ooh, excuse me, 30,000 acres, which is roughly 47 square miles or the size of Walt Disney World. Heck yeah. That's not just Magic Kingdom. That's all of Disney World. Yeah, Walt Disney World's like the size of Manhattan. Yeah. Um fun fact, but also another fun fact, 30% of Walt Disney World's land they will not ever touch or like build on it is strictly there for conservation purposes or it's where they you know dump the bodies because it's swampland just a fun fact i'm gonna go with the letter but that's just you never know um never actually know. i'm not going to state my opinion because i don't want to get sued paul cameron was no doubt the richest man in north carolina by the time the civil war started and was arguably the richest man in the South. He owned a few other plantations, including cotton plantations in Mississippi and Alabama, and sometimes he would exile people there. So it's like, oh, you pissed me off. Shipping you off to Mississippi. Honestly, that sounds terrible. In an already terrible environment. I was going to say. I was going to say. <laughs> Go um, from bad to worse. Yeah. So the Stagville complex not only consisted of the large plantations at Stagville and Fairtosh, but also there was another one at Snow Hill, and then they still owned the Brick House. The land spread over five counties, Durham, Wake, Granville, Person, and Orange. The plantation was self-sufficient and self-sustaining. They grew a variety of crops like wheat, corn, rye, oats, potatoes, cotton, tobacco, they raised sheep, cattle, and hogs. Many of the enslaved were extremely skilled craftsmen, including blacksmiths, barrel makers, millers, seamstresses. And um, I mentioned earlier that they built the barn in 1850. And this barn is very, very large. So there was a high level of skill put into it. And they call it the Great Barn. It was constructed in, constructed in 1860. Yikes. There's no nails in this barn. The beams were put together by use of right angles and slots. That's, like, how yeah. skilled it was. And, like, it, if you look at it, I watched videos of it online, and it, it just looks like it's never going to come down. Sturdy? Yeah, very sturdy. That's the word I was looking for. Very good. The reason I said yikes before <laughs> is because we're talking about a plantation in 1860, which mm -hmm. is a year before the Civil War started. Yes. Yeah, it is. It was the largest barn in North Carolina at the time. 
and it still stands today, like I said, and you can even see the fingerprints in the bricks of the enslaved who built it. That was um, something that is at Rosedale, too. Mm-hmm. You can see the, the yeah. fingerprints. Is it, I think that's just so cool. I think that's That you're, cool like, too. immortalized in this one brick. Yeah, and it's like, your thumbprint's there forever. And we probably don't know who, who that person is, to. who it belonged to. Yeah. We just know that their thumbprint's there. Isn't that mm-hmm. crazy? So crazy. So after the Civil War, emancipation freed one out of every three North Carolinians, which was over 360,000 people across the state. One in three. One in three people in North Carolina after the Civil War were free. Isn't that crazy? That's, yeah, that's, uh, don't ever let anyone tell you that, like, slavery wasn't a big yeah. issue if you're telling me that if you were to meet, if you were to meet, like, uh, five people that day, mm-hmm. well, you know. <laughs> Chances are. Anyways. Yeah. More, many of the enslaved actually stayed on the property as sharecroppers and continued to live in Horton Grove. Um, you know, the quality of home that they were living in was already pretty good for the time. And the place was self-sustaining, too. Yeah, and, I mean, they weren't landowners, so they had to earn money. So they couldn't really buy property at that time. Yeah. So, uh, Paul Cameron began drafting free labor contracts for Stagville, which was essentially still holding control over pretty much every aspect of the freed person's life, including going to church gatherings, things like that. So it's basically slavery, but he paid them. Yeah. Uh, Many resisted or refused to sign them. Eventually, however, the contracts were changed to where they bound people to work for the farm for at least a year. And then at the end of the season, they either had to hand over most of the crops to the Camerons and then they could keep the rest or sell it. Descendants of the enslaved people stayed on the land as sharecroppers well into the 1970s. So those that did not stay at Stagville, however, turned their skills into carpentry, masonry, and textile businesses. And one of the families, the Hearts, opened up a store that was eventually moved onto Black Wall Street, which we talked about for Black History Month. Oh, how fun. Yes. That was a good episode. Yeah. So the houses in the farmland fell into disrepair post-Civil War. Duncan Cameron who is Paul's son, and if you remember, Paul's the son of Duncan and Rebecca. So this is Duncan the second, basically. Okay. Um, He began adopting the farm to a system that did not rely on slavery and began refurbishing the buildings. Duncan, however, died in 1886 from cancer, and his father, Paul, died a few years later. After Paul died, 6,200 acres of Stagville and Farintosh was given to Paul's son, Benahan Cameron. Benahan spent most of his time at his home in Raleigh, but still spent a lot of time in Stagville in order to maintain his legal residence there. And fun fact about Benahan Cameron, uh, do you remember the significance of August 27th, 1891? That's not your birthday, is it? No, I'm kidding. Joke, <laughs> joke. No? What was it? Boston's Bridge. Oh! He was on that train. No way. Yeah. And he was one of the people um, that, like, was not hurt. Good for him. Yeah. And so he 
like spent like he was in that train wreck and um he actually like helped save people's lives and he helped investigate afterwards and he found let's see so he could have met your um family member that was on that train the one that died or i guess well yeah they could have met you know well the one the one that died was like a rail hand so they probably would not have been in the same cart but the other two the couple i still haven't figured out how i'm related to them um but i know that we're related because of the last name so yeah when they were investigating he noticed that part of the rail was detached so Fun fact, tying it all back together. If you don't know what we're talking about, go visit um, Supernatural Charlotte on YouTube. <laughs> there it is. The bingo. <laughs> bingo, baby. We yep. mentioned that once an episode. Yep. That's because they did a really good job on it, and you should watch it on YouTube. Yes. That was the episode that I got to speak. Yes. You can see me on TV. Yeah. Looking back, regrettably, they they asked us to talk about a few different topics, and in our heads, we were like, okay, like well, I'll talk about this one. You talk about that one. Yeah. But it turns out into like three weeks in a row of them showing footage of us standing next together. Yeah. And me talking <laughs> and you just looking at me ad- admiring. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, the next time we do this, uh, we're definitely going to both chime in on all of the things that we talk about. Absolutely. So Benahan died in 1925 and the land was eventually split among his daughters Stagville was sold to a timber company, and then after they removed all of the trees, the timber company sold the land to Liggett and Myers Tobacco Company in 1954. Liggett and Myers used the land to grow tobacco and worked most of it until they donated 71 acres of Stagville's core to the state in the 1970s. In 1984, the remaining Stagville land was purchased by the Durham Research Properties, and it would eventually become the 5,200-acre Treyburn Complex, which was at the time one of the largest residential, commercial, and industrial developments in the South. So, one mission that the current caretakers of historic Stagville have is to teach the public about the lives of the enslaved and the freed people who lived and worked there. The Camerons kept very detailed records of purchases and sales of individuals, as well as births and deaths. These extensive records are used by descendants today to trace their lineage. So they've got a few different surnames, which include Amy, A-M-E-Y, slash Amos, A-M-I-S, Benahan, Cameron, Dunnigan, Edwards, Hart, Haskins, Henderson, Hallman, or Holloman, H-O-L-E-M-A-N, Justice, Meeks, Peeks, Revis, Sowell, Turner, Umstead, VZ, Walker, and there's a few more. So to date, the site has connected over 3,000 enslaved people and their descendants to Stagville, which I think is pretty awesome. They also have records of overseers, including surnames of Turrentine, Piper, Sutherland, and Bobbitts. Yeah, uh, knowing your family tree is definitely something that like yeah is not is a privilege for people and not everyone gets to know that so the fact that they were able to keep such good records and find this history and solidify it is is great yeah i I remember when we were doing the um cemetery project here in charlotte when we found that cemetery that the news was reporting as a slave cemetery which we later found out was not true 
I reached out to a few people and tried to figure out like a ways where, like, how could we figure out who was buried there if there was mm -hmm. no headstones? And a lot of people kind of just laughed, like saying, oh, even if there was headstones, you probably still wouldn't know because no one kept track of that really. It was yeah. like property where people were keeping inventory where they would know, like, I bought this many, this person mm -hmm. died or got lost or whatever. But at the same time, they're not keeping family trees of people. Yeah. And they're certainly, even if they were, like, if you look on census records, it might have the name, the first name of um, the enslaved person. But it's, yeah. they're not going to have a last name. Mm -hmm. um, it'll have their first name and their age, and that's it. And if these people were... You know, it's not like they're giving people receipts. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's a deep topic. Okay. <laughs> so you were saying? Yeah. So I actually went to high school with several people with different last names like this. Um, Turrentine. I know I went to school with a guy. His last name was Turrentine. Um, so that's pretty cool. I know his family's been in Durham for a while. Anyway. Archaeologists are also on a mission to uncover details about the lives of the enslaved that lived there. I know that UNC has a um, is big on archaeology there, and they've just been like having different projects over the years. So they have found evidence of continual use of the land for at least four thousand years. They found artifacts that indicate practices of African heritage, like um, diving rods. Those are the rods that will help you, like, find water underground. Yeah. As well as communal cooking practices. They've like, been, like hibachi? Yeah, absolutely. They're <laughs> cooking hibachi in the kitchen. Um, they have also been able to locate old ruins for the original Benahan store, its foundation, and collapsed chimney. They've found depressions that resemble old wells. And they have partnered with former residents in order to reconstruct the botanical landscape. This has helped them locate an orchard that used to be behind Horton Grove, vegetable gardens, and a cornfield. Archaeologists have used probes and augers to find several abandoned roads and paths that connect Horton Grove to other buildings, including a series of tobacco barns. There's a site called the Slave Cabin that stood 180 feet behind the Benahan House that was excavated and they determined that it was built around 1820 based off of the clay and the nails that were found. Crazy. They've also used LIDAR um, so that they can see through the tree canopy to find features like roads, field boundaries, and building foundations. Today, the site consists of 165 acres of land, four of the original enslaved dwellings in Horton Grove, the Great Barn, the Cameron Family Cemetery, however, I think there's only three headstones in it, as well as the Benahan Cameron Family House, which was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1973. Horton Grove was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1978. You can visit Historic Stagville Tuesdays through Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Admission and self-guided tours are free, and guided tours are $2 for adults and $1 for children and seniors. That's quite the deal. Yeah. I'm sure they accept donations. Of course. And I'm sure they have a, a dope gift shop. <laughs> sure. Selling postcards and yeah. a book. 
And magnets. <laughs> a mug. Who knows? Yeah. And since it is officially spooky season, what would be a history lesson without a ghost story? Yes. Or two. Yeah. So one woman in the 1990s was visiting the site, and as she toured, she got a distinct feeling that someone was watching her. When she turned around, no one was there. When she entered a room uh, that was used as a nursery, the cradle and rocking chair were swaying back and forth as if someone were gently rocking a baby. At first, she believed it was the wind, but none of the windows were open. When she reached the enslaved quarters, she again got the feeling that she was being watched. When she turned to see who was there, a young black girl was staring back at her. The girl looked distraught, and the woman woman walked up to her to try to comfort her, but the girl turned away and walked away and then vanished. Mm. The woman ran to find someone and discovered that other people claimed to have not only seen the little girl, but to have spoken to her as well. The little girl is almost always seen around the houses in Horton Grove. That's there, creepy. Yeah. Ghost children are the creepiest. Um, that's a little insensitive. They didn't choose to be ghosts. That's true. That's true. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean. <laughs> yeah, they didn't choose to die. Sorry. So there is also a legend that sometimes late at night in one of the houses in Horton Grove, the windows will glow bright red as if there's a fire inside. Now that's creepy. Several people have seen it to the point where the fire department has been called, only to find out that there was no fire. In the Great Barn, the fire alarms will go off for no reason, and a black man has been seen inside despite the fact that the barn is always kept locked unless a guided tour is taking place. Once the alarm or once the alarm in the barn went off and when the sheriff deputy arrived, he saw an adult male inside the barn that faded away right in front of him. Other people have reported the apparitions of a group of African-American men near the great barn. In the main house, unexplained footsteps and voices are sometimes heard. Locks will turn without, one, without anyone being there. Doors will open and close on their own. Strange lights and screams will be seen and heard by neighbors at, in the middle of the night. And uh, the paranormal investigation group Haunted NC has caught EVPs there, uh, one of which was whispering the name Thomas, and others that sound like a man singing. Yeah, that was exactly what it sounded like. You like that? I, le- I listened to the YouTube video. Oh, did you? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't either. <laughs> If it was like the ghost show, it would be like, and then people would be like, oh, wow, Thomas. Right? Yeah, oh, I think I he's saying it. Thomas. Absolutely. I hear, wow, it's saying get out right now. Right. <laughs> Zach Baggins, call him by name. We were just watching Zach Baggins. Zach Baggins, Bag- excuse whatever. me. Yeah, that's a insult to the Baggins name. Good friends, Bilbo and Frodo. <laughs> um, so we are part of a Facebook group that talks about uh, haunted locations in North Carolina. So before we were recording the episode today, I reached, I just put it on there, um, saying, has anyone gone to the Stagville Plantation in Durham, um, or done anything? And one lady said, and this is a direct quote, um, it's not a ghost story yet, but, uh, Stagville is dedicated to telling the story of the plantation from the perspective of the enslaved people who are there. Mm-hmm. It's more akin to the Whitney Plantation in Los, An- or Los Angeles. Los Angeles, Louisiana. <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> when people type out LA, 
uh, sorry, I'm thinking Los Angeles. I think that too. Um, That's okay. Than most of the others. Well worth a visit. They also do great demonstrations of things like Joan Kunu, which was the traditional West African winter solstice celebration observed by the people enslaved there. Um, That said, I'd be shocked if they allow investigations on the property, uh, which is going against what we found online. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I... I responded, I was like, oh yeah, we're just looking to see if anyone had paranormal experience. And the same person that said that, her name is Whitney, she said, I was training to be a tour guide there before the pandemic. Honestly, it's it's not something that has ever, that was ever mentioned in our training, talking about uh, paranormal experiences. So that doesn't mean that that stuff hasn't happened. It just means that the current staff either doesn't share it to the newbies or uh, just doesn't know. I wouldn't share it to the newbies. Apple I would just Hula. let it happen and scare them. <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Um, another person, his name is Chris. He said, I'm from the area, dot, dot, dot. What's his last name? Um, Kimball. Oh. You thought that the person's name was Chris, <laughs> that you were like, oh, maybe it's the Chris I know from Durham. <laughs> maybe it's one of the 47 different Chrises that I know from Durham. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> He said, I'm from the area. Locals say that there was a slave trading post where the old Catsburg store was mm-hmm. next to the baseball field. That's what we talked about. That area is wide open. Maybe helpful. I don't have hard facts. That's all I know about it. Supposedly was part of Stagville. So I guess he was insinuating that because there were slaves, there must be ghosts. Maybe. I know that the Catsburg is haunted. Honestly, I... I think that they dismantled the Catsburg. R.I.P. I know. Do you want me to Google it real quick? I feel like they dismantled it. It's another gem of Durham. It's supposedly haunted. That's the only other story that Permanently I Permanently closed. Well, yeah, it's closed. But it was just one of those, like, staples that you'd always get excited when you'd go past it. I can see why. It looks like one of those old-timey Western saloons. it absolutely was. Cool. So, a little bit of history. Um, Yes, hopefully everyone learned something. Yes. Plantations are always a little difficult to talk about um, because there are some historic sites that are plantations that don't respect that side of the history. They have weddings there. So, weddings, I, I... I get it. it's a historic place and a mm-hmm. nice place to take pictures, but at this like, but if the intention behind the preservation is in the wrong place, yeah, it, it changes things. Like Latta, yeah, Bring that's up exactly what I was thinking. Room. Yeah, so Latta Plantation. Uh, previous episodes we talked about the controversy that Jeez. happened with it, where one of the program directors, um. Even though he was a, a black man himself, he really leaned into showing what the plantation was like during while I was operating to yeah. the to the point where he was take like you know field trips go to this. So when a group of kids would be there, he would separate the white kids from the black kids and put the black kids in like slave um, positions and separate them and then the whole reason that all the drama happened in the first place was the juneteenth um 
celebration in quotations that they had where they wanted to voice the opinions of the old Massa himself and see how he was feeling about the Civil War. Um, yeah, so long story short. Ladder Plantation has been closed since June. I did see today, if you go on um, Mecklenburg County's Twitter, um, they posted a survey that the Parks and Rec Department is doing to see what they kind of what the people want. What the people want. Um, I took it's it's not really a survey. So basically, what you're doing is kind of what's most important to you. Mm. You know, like truth, accessibility. One of the things is like courage. <laughs> I'm like what Honor. the heck? Um, Bravery. Like. You know, history and facts and stuff like that. Like, what's the most important to you when Ghost. it comes to a site like this? So I put, like, everything that had to do with, like, truth and historical fact was number one. Yeah. Courage I had is last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was stupid. <laughs> I have to take that. I saw Queen City Nerve also um, retweeted that. Yeah. And So if you live in the area and you've been to a lot of plantation before, you like it. Um, I mean, I enjoy going to Lada Plantation. Yeah, we went on the... Um, they do reenactments there. Um, they're always... You know, they always have fun events to go to, but, like, it's... There was it's, room for improvement. Yeah, there's room for improvement is what I was looking for. And Homeboy, the guy we were talking about, he just doubled down on yeah. not, like, responding appropriately. Yeah, he did not respond. outcry. He did not... Um, so, but and homie lost his job. So yeah, but Stagville, they seem like they're doing the right thing by turning the focus and making sure that the community's involved and stuff like that. They have like a family day where descendants can come and look at their family trees and stuff and meet each other, which I think is yeah spectacular. You never hear of anything like that. So. Yeah. Something unique for Durham. Well, I'm glad you shared it with us. Yeah, me too. I learned something. I like, yeah, oh, that's perfect. That's where we're mm -hmm. that's why we're doing this. That's why he's here. Um Yeah, so with that being said, we will happy October, everyone. Um I hope that you guys are following in on Instagram. We're gonna be doing a lot of cool stuff this month. Yeah. And it's just spooky month. I hope you guys are doing spooky stuff. Oh, speaking of which, last episode we talked about how we're doing our spooky date nights for over the next month and a half or so, um, where we have the envelopes of a movie oh, yeah. and a thing that we're going to do along with the movie. Since we talked, we've had two of them. We did a Halloween marathon. Mm -hmm. So what were your thoughts on seeing the first five Halloween movies um, for the first time? Um... I liked the third one. <laughs> yeah. Season of the Witch, baby. I thought it could have been a, a differently entire series itself, but I thought it was a good... Yeah. It was good. I like it. They thought that they, um, after the first Halloween and the second, they thought that Michael Myers had run his course and that people would... Um, <laughs> I know, right? Here and we they, are. It's 2021. <laughs> People would be perceptive of doing like an anthology series on Halloween, the date based horror stories, mm. but it came out and it was just not received well because I don't think they prepared the audience for that. So people came in oh. thinking that they were going to see a Michael Myers 
um, movie, you know, a bunch of teenage girls getting slaughtered. How dare And they? instead they saw a bunch of kids presumably dying off screen. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Spoiler. Um, and then with that, we had Buffalo Chicken Zip. And then the other movie we watched was The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, that was good. I never watched it before. Yeah. Um, which was also interesting to, to watch because the whole thing is about conformity, kind of. So it was interesting to see a conformity story taking place, gosh, 50 years ago? Yeah. The movie took place. Um, yeah. And then for that one, we did decaf. Um, decaf pumpkin, pumpkin spice, spice lattes, lattes. Which were delicious. Um, and then we're going to be doing one tonight. Yep. It's a secret, though. Yeah, we'll tell you next week when we talk about... Say it. <laughs> Commit to it right now. Um, Jason believes that Venus flytraps are very spooky, so I have agreed. <laughs> I don't think they're spooky at all, but next week we're going to be talking about Venus flytraps. Um, yeah. they Not only are they spooky, but they <laughs> are North Carolina exclusive pretty much yeah and also it wasn't just me your dad asked you to do this episode too he did but so, my dad doesn't think they're spooky they don't have to be spooky <laughs> it's just super interesting and they i can't wait for the audience to listen to us talk yeah. about it next week it's they are interesting. committed to it they are interesting <laughs> i've already i i literally have one two three four four tabs up that say venus flytrap right now and you don't think they're spooky? Goodness I don't. Gracious. Okay. Goodbye, right. everybody. <laughs> Bye. Sources for today's episode can be found on our website at anchor.fm slash old north state pod. If you want to send us a topic suggestion, a funny story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at old north state pod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at old north state pod. Cheers, y'all.